Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. <laughs> What's up, guys and girls? Sunday evening, 7.30 in the p.m. I was telling Josh this before we got in the air. It's important that you all know, this is how dedicated we are to you, our lovely viewing and listening audience. 7.30 p.m. on a Sunday. Josh just got back from Canada. I just got done doing cardio. Josh flies out to Los Angeles tomorrow or some shit, going to Expo West. From Expo West, he flies to Columbus to the Arnold on Friday. This dude's got more airline miles on his credit card than most people. And the fun thing is, for Josh, he doesn't have to pay for a single one of them because these companies just pay out of their ass to fly you to places to listen to your listen to you spew your bullshit, Josh. <laughs> I, I know it's amazing how they want to just hear me talk about a bunch of nothing. I, when I, I grow up, I want to be Josh Shaw. I want to get paid to spew <laughs> bullshit, and and then somehow. People like uh, OGs in the space will like do a Facebook post and they'll tag you and me in it like we've done something. Wh- what? <laughs> I know. I'm like, who, who, who are we? That's what I always say. Like, what? what Jesus. We're just what a, even, bunch they of need young... to stop talking positive about us. I'm telling you. The, the important – so I, uh, Dan from Ghost gave me some really good advice when we were at Ghost recently. He said, Ryan, act like you've done it before. Act like you've been there before. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's what Josh does. He acts like he knows what he's talking about. I act and speak the way that I know, you know, and people are just like, well, they sound like they know what they're talking about. So let's, let's, let's <laughs> I mean, Mark Glazer just posted a, a thing on you saying like, you're one of the brightest minds in this space again. I was just like, Mark, Mark, you got to quit drinking tequila. You have no clue. Yeah. That was after a whole night of us drinking tequila. That's Which what is, happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really does. If you're with Mark Glazer, you have no choice, but to at least try tequila. And it's amazing. I now, I now, uh, Frequent the tequila bars. So anyway, enough of the chair chair. We were talking today. Uh, this will come out the week of the Arnold, the week of Expo West. Um, in terms of the ever-changing retail landscape within sports nutrition, and it's not just sports nutrition. I think as consumers, the way we purchase our items today are significantly different than they were even six months ago and a year ago. I mean, it's, it's literally changing every single day to the point where we see guys in the space. Um, you know, Richard over at Sportica had just posted something recently on Amazon taking pictures of their deliveries. Well, they've been doing that for quite a while, but it's, it's, it's starting to kind of touch everybody in every demographic, and it's becoming um, unique and different and a, and a cool way to do their shopping, especially when it comes to sports nutritional supplements. And uh, when we broke into the space, Josh, when you and I got into this industry, I mean, how, how would you describe the purchase pathway for a consumer? Yeah, I mean, it's basically, I mean, internet was starting. I think it was still kind of a thing that only younger people literally did. I mean, I, I remember purchasing a lot of my supplements on, you know, bodybuilding.coms or some of like the deal sites like uh, DPS Nutrition or, um, you know, SUPS or Nutriplanet, which is RIP Nutriplanet. I don't think they're alive anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of these sites that you got like some deals and you know as a college kid obviously that's where we were doing we were trying to search for the deal so i wasn't right. going to go to gnc and vitamin shop because they were just too expensive for for a poor kid uh, from northeast ohio so i uh i bought a lot of my stuff online but for the vast majority of consumers they bought from specialty retailers like gnc vitamin shop vitamin world and that was it you didn't even have the opportunity really to buy much stuff anywhere else if you wanted to pick it up from a brick and mortar site like you literally had to go to a specialty retailer to pick up you know your supplements or your sports nutrition products it it, it, nothing like today in terms of the variety of options that you had to uh purchase your goods you and i both kind of grew up in um like low low class sort of communities not i mean i mean 
that's not to be rude, but they weren't like significantly in influx of income. I lived in a town of 4,000 people. The closest shopping mall for me was about 32 miles away in a town called Wassa. They got a GNC. Like we had to drive 30 miles to a GNC. My brother bought Celtech. I remember for the first time for no reason. I have no idea why. But we had to drive to, to the mall, which when, when malls were cool and like a thing to go to. So that yeah. just tells you how old it is. And go into this little GNC. And, and to Josh's point, I believe the price tag on Celtech was like fifty nine 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 or sixty nine nine nine, Something insane. At that time, too, like, I mean, everything within GNC was super expensive because dietary supplements and sports nutritional supplements had just become kind of – I wouldn't say sort of mainstream yet, but to the point where people thought, like, my God, these are, like, legalized steroids. They're going to help me do all these things. And, and quite frankly, some of them were. But, I mean, they yeah, – they, 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 <laughs> During that time frame, a lot of them were. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was, like, the, the first time I remember a supplement being purchased within my household. Now, I recall my first purchase on, on a supplement um, may have came online at bodybuilding.com, but I also remember taking weed or creatine capsules that I think I bought from – um, like a Walmart or some some like regular Kmart, some some store that carried a small line of vitamins and minerals, and, and creatine just happened to be one of them that they had there. Um, but it was not like you know like it is today. I mean, things are definitely different today. The way we we get our our goods today. I mean, for a good part. I mean, even through college. I mean, I was it was for the most part bodybuilding.com. I mean, that's that's really you know and that's two thousand five to two thousand and nine. It was bodybuilding.com. Amazon wasn't even an option at that point yet, really. I mean, I don't even think – I can't remember. You would know better than me when Amazon sort of became um, a viable option within purchase decisions in the space. Um, like I mentioned on a previous podcast, I started with a, a company called Supplement Warehouse in 2014, and we were one of the first dietary supplement retailers to sell via Amazon. So that was you know, that was still quite a ways away. Um, and it'd be interesting to hear what people are listening, you know, or watching to see, like, how did they purchase their supplements too? Because before, do you know the history of GNC or Vitamin Shop? Like, when did they come to fruition, and when did they come about? Oh, GNC has been around for a long time. I think during, like, literally maybe eighty or ninety years, honestly. Um, really? Vitamin Shop, I think, is is, is actually a lot younger, uh, maybe in the. 70s. I'm honestly probably butchering this, but I, I remember GNC being really uh, an old, an older company. I think maybe it started as uh, like a natural store, or maybe even like a pharmacy type of a store or whatever. But uh, it's kind of morphed into what it is today. But it's it's been around for a while. Were they generally? And this is just from my own knowledge, and people probably want to know too. But were GNC retail models traditionally placed within malls, shopping malls, or did they have their own storefronts? They were probably standalone, yeah, because, I mean, malls were, I mean, they're still a considerably new thing as well. So, I mean, at the beginning, they would have had to have been in, you know, just a regular kind of storefront or whatever. But the, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I'm trying to look it up it, when it was founded, but I feel like it was a, definitely an, an old company. Uh, 1935. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't yeah. have guessed that at all. I mean, just because, yeah. you know, we, you and I both <laughs> being familiar with the space and even, like, working with Alex Ardenti on Sups, the movie, the documentary, which I, I think you've, you've seen – um, you know, that, yeah. that it dates back to like, you know, 70s and, and 80s of, of dietary supplements. Nothing previous to that really too much. I mean, there is, you know, back in the 1800s, this guy developed some some type of supplement. But um, the point being is like, OK, so it's, it's been I'm 33 years of age. When I was 23, 10 years ago, I was buying things. You know, at that point, it was bodybuilding.com was like the end all be all platform. And that's where you go. You get you spend 50 bucks, you get like a free trinket, you spend 75, you get a bag, you spend 100, you get a shaker cup. Like, my God, a shaker cup. 
so cool. But that was the way they would differentiate themselves from the DPS, Nutrition's of the world, Supplement Warehouses of the world. And, that, that, and they also, um, I think they also doubled down on content. That you know, helped them quite a bit, too. And at that point, like bodybuilding.com, that domain, pretty, pretty valuable domain. I mean, it, it kind of yeah. said what it was, right? Um, and, uh, you know, from there, the way that I purchase things, like, today is, is significantly different. I mean, for full, full transparency, I don't have to purchase much. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I do, um, you know, it, it's, it's really different. And, and let me ask you this, Josh. How important for, is it for you um, at your age, how important is speed of shipping to you? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I want things right when I when I want it, when I bought it. You know what I mean? And I know I'm a patient guy, but I think that I've been kind of trained over time now to just, especially living in Austin, Texas. Like, if I don't get the thing the same day, I'm upset. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's gotten to that point now where I think like I'm used to ordering, you know, say groceries or something that comes in two hours. And if I order something that is like a normal, a top selling product to say I need a keyboard or a mouse or something that's you know that that's the top seller or whatever, I, I expect it that day. Uh, or next day, if I order it kind of late in the day, um, if not, I'm like, what the heck, like what's going on here? Because, uh, I just, I think our planning in terms of our repurchasing or maybe our just purchasing in general has kind of moved to that way. I could, and that's quicker for me than to go to like a physical store, um, or anything like that. It's better just to kind of purchase it online at this point, especially with Amazon having uh, two major warehouse distribution centers, like within, you know, a drive to uh, Austin. Yeah, and we have one here in Minneapolis too. And I, I will be completely honest. Like, I will look for if I'm in a, in a product category. This isn't just dietary supplements; it's just anything in general. So, so, so say like a, a a keyboard, right? A keyboard. I will look for the keyboard, and if a keyboard has less of a rating but gives me that same day delivery, like I will, I will buy that one because I want it today. Versus you know waiting a day. Waiting a day. How impatient are we as consumers? Waiting a <laughs> fucking day, we can't do it. But that is what Amazon has done for us, and. Amazon has even gone as far as, I mean, I'm sure you've seen these two, Josh, being in Austin, but walking through the Mall of America this last week, there's a new store popping up. It's, just, it's basically an Amazon top sellers store. So yeah. it's, it's going to be an Amazon store that's going to carry their top rated, top selling products in there. So instead of them having to give it to you same day, you can literally walk into the mall, pick up a keyboard or whatever it might be, and that's the one you're getting. It's insane. Yeah, it's called. I think it's called their four star yeah. um, concept. So basically, it has to. You have to have over a four star, and then there's all these kind of other things. But basically, it's a kind of a hodgepodge store of just kind of hot sellers of things that are based on like that geographical area and uh, a bunch of other kind of things that they kind of put within the uh, merchandising algorithm. So it's very much like data driven uh, physical store. It's not necessarily just like oh, this is the national you know bestseller. We're gonna put it in here or whatever. It's kind of like they're really trying to think of this in terms of like. Uh, geographically, um, Mall of America might be a little bit different because that's like a destination right. point for a lot of people. Like they, that's like, if you're a hardcore shopper, that's probably on your list of like, we got to hit the Mall of America one day in our lives. But, uh, you know, most stores, it's probably um, geographically driven in terms of, they know obviously the, the data in those zip codes. So they know like what people are normally buying. And it's just like a matter of stocking that stuff um, in the store. Right. I want to kind of talk, we were, we were talking about, um, you know, digital sales and things. And I have had a few conversations the last couple of weeks around um, some of the, the old guard, I guess, in the uh, industry. Uh, you know, they call us obviously the young bucks and, and we are not aware of a yeah. time that came before, you know, the, the bodybuilding.com. So like that was the time when we, we kind of emerged into this whole thing. And we don't really know too much before that. But uh, we talked about Mark Glazer that's uh, and he was showing me an old catalog 
of oh, God, the yeah. uh, before Nutribio was Nutribio was like Nutribolics or I don't remember what yeah, it was, yeah. but basically it was a, like and it was a old school like direct to consumer like uh, magazine sales. Like you had to either call the number and uh, you know talk to somebody on the phone, which is cringe worthy in itself. I would never want to call call somebody to order anything at this point. And then secondly, you could have either mailed in your order um, and did it that way. And I thought. That's interesting. And then, Very. you know, that was kind of the time of like EAS and metrics and like kind of all this whole phase of like people that did business direct to consumer before direct to consumer went digital. Uh, it was kind of like the first phase of it or whatever. And then basically you took it more digital with, you know, the bottom.coms and, and all those types of things that kind of moved this to uh, internet business. And then brands, you know, took a while to kind of do the direct to consumer websites, uh, at least in a big, I guess, proportion of, of, our space. It, it took a while for whatever reason for these brands to kind of turn on their websites in a way that actually was uh, direct to consumer as like an actual sales channel, not just like we put our products out there as like an online catalog. It's so funny that you bring up the catalog because Nutribio will still send a catalog with their orders. Yeah. I, I mean, if anybody <laughs> out there has gotten the Nutribio order, you will get a very nice catalog that does, that's not cheap to print. I mean, they still send one along. It's a product highlight catalog. Now, it's not like here's a, a Wayne Hart number call, but it's, you know, it, it directs them, I believe, to the website. But there are brands like Redcon 1 that has a call center. Like having a call center is still exists today. Redcon 1, Blackstone Labs, uh, I think there's several others that still have them. Like for, yeah, First Form has a big one. They actually, I mean, a lot of these brands are utilizing it. I mean, I know First Form for sure. Like they use a lot, utilize it as like a value generation type of like helping people get to their goal. Like they want people to call them for half an hour and talk through like their challenges, which is kind of unique in the sense, like if you could build a community where somebody wants to literally call you up and talk for half an hour about something, uh, you're building a pretty good business that uh, could actually attract people that would be into that. Because for the most part, people just want to like, you know, push you through to a chat bot or, or something like that. So it's interesting that there are still businesses that are leveraging like the human one-to-one -one interaction um, extremely well in kind of this 2020 world where like everybody's moving away from that. It's like text, med text message ordering, like a company like uh, Dirty Lemon, uh, that's a uh, drink company that literally you cannot order anything other than through text messaging. You just wow. order through their kind of chat bot on their uh, text message and they ship it to you direct to consumer or like in a day or two it's and it's all good to go. It's crazy that that like that our phones are becoming our or kind of like our shopping center, yeah. our you know, this is our retailer in our hand. It's like we don't necessarily even need to go through the traditional uh, retail models like you used to with the whole checkout processes and stuff. It's like done through SMS chatbots and things of that nature. It's just, yeah, I mean, I would venture to guess that the conversion rate on those calls, though, you know, for first, first form, when somebody calls up and say, you know, I'm struggling with my weight loss goals, I guarantee that person's leaving that, leaving that call buying something. You know, it's, it's yeah. the value add, sure, but the, the underlying thing there is, like, you're going to buy something. You're not getting off this call in 30 minutes and not, not wasting my time. I mean, it's not like that. They obviously want to help people. Um, yeah. If you have ever called in on one of these hotlines or one of these call centers, I would love to hear. And if you're part of the call center, I know we have a bunch of Redcon people that, that listen to this and watch this, too. Like, we'd love to hear how that process goes for you guys because when people are calling in the Redcon, are they calling in because they want to order? Or are they calling in for uh, stack suggestions? Like, I mean, that, that's, it is a cool feature. And when you and you were there, you're in Boca. You saw how big that call center actually is. Yeah. I mean, it's an it's an impressive size call center. That those are a headcount that they have to pay. So obviously, it's working, um, and, and it's working well. Now, 
uh, when you brought up the catalog stuff too, I just remember like getting the old Fisker catalogs that my parents would like order from back in the day, and, and you know, especially around Christmas time or holidays, you could order all this stuff. Um, and it's just it's just crazy that 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 was the norm. Like, and in sports nutrition, like that existed, where there literally was a, an order form that you would like you were mentioning that you'd send in. Um, you know, for for now, we talk about like omni-channel or something too, where some people might purchase some things online, some people might go into the store. The biggest question I have in today's environment is like this whole concept of brand loyalty. So many of these brands, you know, once upon a time, the retail model of a bodybuilding.com or a Tiger Fitness was the place, um, you know, is a place that a lot of people went because they might buy, you know, three items of, of one brand, two items of another. Um, but a lot of the brands now are putting their time and effort into direct to consumer. So their goal, and you know, are consumers willing to go to a Redcon One or a Nutribio or a, a Muscle Feast and buy things individually and pay shipping costs individually based on brand loyalty? Or are they like, you know what, I'm just going to go to Tiger Fitness and buy there because I get free shipping when I spend over 99 bucks. So I'll go to Amazon. You know, Amazon, I guess, is, is, is a nice platform still for a lot of people. But how do you, like, how would you go out and do your purchasing if you had to buy supplements today, do you think? I mean, me based around my kind of behaviors and the way that I think of purchasing, I would probably go on Amazon just because I'm looking more towards a convenience factor over um, a brand necessarily knowing my name and, and sure. having that purchase history and whatever. And I think that's a good kind of distinction between uh, online purchasers at this point. You have somebody that goes on Amazon. Those are generally ones that are looking to uh, attach themselves to the convenient aspects that are built the proposition around Amazon. Right. So that is... You know, the short shipping, uh, maybe the price is, is decently, but it's also just a matter of like being able to order whatever you need in a, in a weird basket of stuff together and it'll all ship whenever it ships as quick as possible. And you don't need to go to a bunch of different retailers to pick up your, you know, your vacuum and your Q-tips and your pre-workout if that was your order. Right. Um, so it's kind of, for me, I think that's just a matter of ease. Um, I like uh, the search engine and, and it's just easy for me to pick out what I need from you know, the, the information layout and reviews or whatever. And, um, but and then you have the other side, you have people that literally want to, you know, they want the brand to know their name. They want ghost or life or, um, Redcon or Nutribio or whatever. They want them to actually know their name. And if they do have a problem, they, if they do end up calling or emailing or whatever, they want to be able to have you pull it up and say, Oh, you know, John's ordered 10 times right. in the last three months, man, it's a good customer. Let's take care of him. Let's make sure that he's good to go, and you know, let's try to hook him up with whatever. And those people exist. I would say that there's most people are in a combination of both because I think that there's a obvious like categories you care most about. Yeah. You know, be that pre workout or protein or whatever. You have like probably your bucket of like five things that you really care about, and you probably have a couple brands that you really like their stuff. You like their brand experience, you like their story, you like whatever it is. And that's where you're going to buy those five like items you really care most about. And then there's like maybe another five or 10 items that you could care less about. Like they're just a commodity. You just like, I want the cheapest, most quality thing I can buy as quick as possible. And then they're going to buy those things from whatever brand can offer that at that time. And that's probably going to be on Amazon or, you know, Tiger Fitness or Bodyman.com or whatever it is. But that's kind of for me i think that the purchase habits right now with like people i think there's a combination of both that's happening so you kind of need to decide as a brand like where are you at in this whole kind of picture now you kind of can't be in the middle and you kind of can't figure you kind of can't be like all on the commodity side or all on the what you got to figure out where you're at i guess 
Yeah, and I think it comes into play that too is like the exclusivity exclusivity of the brand. Like Ghost, for instance, right? You can buy it at their website. You can't get Ghost on Amazon, so like you can't yeah. you can't go to Amazon and get it. So you're forced to go to Ghost or you're forced to go to the GNC. Um, nice thing is if you go to like Ghost website, there are coupon codes that knock off twenty percent. So that's kind of cool. Um, you know, Redcon, for instance, they are available on Amazon, so you could get them there, but you're gonna get a better price on Redcon1.com. So, like, you have to toggle and juggle that, too. Like, what's important to you? Is it price? Is it the convenience of selecting multiple brands via Amazon? You know, it, it's, it, there's a lot to it. Um, you know, for me and, and the way I purchase now, because I still purchase supplements here and there, I do it based on just, like, helping my friends for the most part. So, like, you know, for instance, um, you know, Mark Loblier just launched that vitamin shop. I went and bought a bunch of boxes at Vitamin Shop to help support that, you know, because I want him to be successful and I want that to be successful at Vitamin Shop. Or, but he just started a website called the Nutrition Junction. I purchased things through him to help him out too. You know, that's when you're when you get to that point. That, I mean, otherwise though, I'll be honest with you, I will still kind of purchase on price for a lot of part. I'm not loyal to uh, a a particular retailer. Like I'm not loyal to Bodybuilding.com or Tiger Fitness or even Amazon for that matter. But if I get it quicker from Amazon for the same price or right around the same price, I'll buy it from Amazon for sure. Um, but the thing is, like, you understand being in this realm of the world and, and being in digital marketing that you're typically going to get a better price or deal if you buy through the, their consumer website because there are a bunch of coupon codes flowing out there that you can knock prices off. And, yes, I, 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 it's not that I refuse to pay full price, Josh, but I also understand, like, you shouldn't have to. I mean, it, unless you're going to, you know, like uh, Tory Burch or some, like, hand, style or handbag that doesn't discount their shit ever – um, in this space, there's a discount code for every brand in the world. I, I, I mean, there's, there's one that exists somewhere, you know. So um, it's, it's just that, you know, if you pay full price for something in this space, I'm not going to say shame on you, but, like, shame on you. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, there, it exists. <laughs> like, do you not have Facebook? Do you not have Instagram? So, um, you know, it is unique. But I think there are still brands, though, that are slow to change to that direct-to-consumer model and or to, to kind of like, you know, for instance, we covered this last week. Muscle Sport, for instance, is a huge brand. They've been traditionally priced on their website high to support brick and mortar, right? They wanted you to go into mom-pop shops and buy there, but they announced this last week that they're finally going to be available on campusprotein.com. So, like, that's a – but it's 2020. So, you know, do you, do you foresee brands – I mean, you, you're in the space. Like, do you see brands going all in on direct-to-consumer? I mean, it kind of depends on what their aspiration level is. I think that's kind of the key here where it, building a direct-to-consumer site, there's going to be, at least in 2020, there's a ceiling. There's, you're not going to be able to get maybe to you know, $250, $300 million on a direct-to-consumer site just because of the overall purchasing habits, like in terms of uh, offline, online with the category and how big the category is as, as a whole overall anyways. Uh, but I think you could build a very big business just direct to consumer if you really wanted to. I think it just depends on the aspirations of the owner because you eventually get to that point where, you know, you hit a plateau and you realize the, you know, the customer acquisition costs are probably cheaper if you're going with some type of physical retailer that you can, you know, utilize uh, you know, shipments over to a distribution center or, you know, you have a bunch of retail points of distribution that now, you know, customers are more willing to go like uh, pick up a product, say a, you're a protein bar or an energy drink or something like that, where those things come into play right. where you need to have those retail points of, of distribution where somebody can go in into their local town and pick it up. And that helps just the overall size of the business. But, you know, it just kind of depends. Like if you want to build a $5 million, $10 million business, lifestyle business and run it with two or one employee, literally you could do it. It's yeah. simple to do it. I think it's just a matter of 
you know, how far do you want to take this? And if you want to take it to the ultimate level of, of competitiveness, the biggest you can get it to, eventually you're going to have to make that decision of who's a good retail partner that I want to work with that's going to help my business. Um, you're going to have to pick one of them because you're just going to kind of get stuck in the patience type of thing to wait for the rest of the world to catch up to uh, you wanting everything to be 100% digital. It's kind of like Amazon. Like uh, they would love for the whole world to just go completely digital and they would win that game every day, but they had to go out and buy Whole Foods. They had to go, you know, create some of these retail concepts because they realized people aren't as quick to change as they would like it. They would love for that to happen, but they had to move a few steps back to get people to uh, purchase things in certain categories like grocery. It just so happened to be that way. So, I mean, even with sports nutrition with the um, like the digital penetration being much higher than like the average of all retail sales, you still have more sales happening in store than you do online. So if you want to kind of throttle your brand and sit and wait, then you can. But I would say most people have eventually get to that decision. They got to make that decision. Like, who am I going to work with on a physical retail sense? So let's finish this episode by talking about futuristic purchasing dis- purchasing behaviors uh, within this space. And you, you mentioned several things on this thing. Uh, your cell phone. You mentioned like uh, you, you they strictly only take orders via SMS text messaging. Redcon has an app. Okay, not not many. I, First form probably has an app too. I, I'm not too familiar, but they offer like let's let's start with the the app first off. Redcon has an app that offers special discounts for app users only. For for Redcon is a very big brand that has loyal customers. I think the app probably is pretty successful for them. But do you, I, I mean I see like the Amazon app I use all the time because it's convenient and again it's a shopping mall. I have a hard time wrapping my head around brand-specific apps if it's just strictly for purchase. If there's special content, I guess, through the apps. Now, Cage Muscle does a really good job through their app of Chris Gethin's workout programs and training series. Um, I think for that to be successful, I think you need more of that. Um, I could be wrong, and Aaron could, could hop on here and be like, dude, we do you know, X point million a year in the app. I have no idea, but I, I, just, I, I have a hard time thinking that app is, is for a brand-specific purchase is the way to go. Yeah, I mean, I think for you to have a successful app, I think you need to have something that brings people back into it constantly. Um, So I think like if you are, unless you're Amazon or Walmart or, you know, one of these massive retailers or brands that have hundreds of millions of dollars, like a Nike that has, you know, their apps and things of that nature, that is where this kind of works is it's a lot of averages, I guess, of just you're you're just working with a bigger base. So you, you, you can create a sustainable app by just having people purchase, but I think for most brands in our space, it comes down to, you need to give a reason for that consumer to, to open that app. So is that content, is that some type of, you know, personalized uh, information, whatever it is to like make sure somebody to come in there because uh, it's not necessarily transactional. Like the phone and digital is very transactional, but I think that the more you can kind of put layers of experience and, and different things in there that adds value. Uh, I think that that brings more people into it. There's going to be a lot of people that just want the transactional aspect of it. Um, but you want to also bring in a lot of people that are not necessarily interested, especially in a category that like people need help. They know, they know the goal they want to reach, but like literally they're lost past that point. So it's for you to add that value to get them to be comfortable with like purchasing products is probably important. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You have to have some sort of value add through content. You know, one thing too, like you look at the popularity of something like MyFitnessPal. There's, you know, there's an opportunity for, I think, brands to develop some sort of, that would bring somebody in every day. I mean, if you're tracking macros and you're tracking exercise and you have, 
you know, on a, a ABC brand app that has that. Oh, on top of that, your sponsored ads are the products from the company. And then you also get, you know, these flash sales and things like that. That brings more people in tune. It gives them more of a value add, more of a reason to do it. The second thing you mentioned was, was the text messaging. Now, I, I do recall receiving text before from brands like CVS, for instance, does this for their pharmacy. Do you want to refill your, you know, refill your prescription? Hit, hit one for yes, two for no. I mean, that is pretty convenient. And what brands could yeah. do is like, do you want to you know, renew your order or re-up your order that you just made three months ago or two months ago? I have not seen anything like that yet in this space, although I would not be shocked to see it come out in the next six months to a year. Yeah, that's kind of a missing part in our space. You have a lot of brands that are trying to acquire customers, and then when they get to the purchase, they just stop. They don't, right. they don't do anything else. Like uh, there's this post-purchase like loyalty kind of part where if you don't want customers to go back into the mix of like recycling and, and trying to find a new brand and then you have to acquire them again, like you need to think about the post-purchase loyalty. So there are things like you're mentioning about just like sending basic reminders. If you are asking for somebody's phone number um, for their order, maybe it is just sending a thing like, you know, at the 21 day mark, like, Hey, how, how'd the product work out for you? You have any questions? Uh, you're up for the time of reordering. Uh, if you'd like to try maybe our new flavor of Total War, here's 10% off your next order or whatever it is. And I think that you're not seeing those um, kind of reminders. You're not seeing a lot of that cultivation of the customer past the purchase. You're just seeing them, they got the sale, they got the money in the bank and they move on to the next customer. They try to move on to the next customer and we try to move on. It's kind of um, unfortunate because you're constantly then trying to um, recapture that customer instead of like just fostering them already into your funnel. Um, So I I think you're going to probably start to see brands think like that. I mean, you see them doing it maybe on an email or whatever, but I, you know, the email open rates over the text message open rates are you know not even close to each other. So, I mean, in terms of text message, I think it's 80 or so percent within the five minutes, somebody opens your text message. So it's like, if you want to get somebody's attention, Send them a text message because yeah. they're going to open that. No, you're 100 percent correct, and I think yeah, we will see it. You know, I've I've seen I don't know if I've seen even you know I've seen tracking updates at Tiger Fitness, but through Facebook Messenger, which I thought was cool, but I don't recall yeah. seeing it through SMS text. And I, I think that's you know part of the platform and website. But yeah, I think texting is a great way, a great utilization. Now, could it also be annoying for the consumer? Sure, it could, but then you can opt out just like you do email. Nothing different. They would have to require that. But you know, I think the way that we end up purchasing items, not just in this space, but in general. It's going to come, you know, more digital. It's going to be more on your handheld device through text messaging. Uh, I, I don't foresee, you know, phone calls being anything huge in the future. But, um, you know, websites will obviously still be there and be there for a while. I don't know what's next after websites. I really don't, uh, um, you know, but it, who knows? Who knows? Maybe, you know, I mean, obviously Amazon will be dropping your stuff off via drone here pretty soon, which will be cool. Um, and then, uh, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get to the point where Aaron Sigerman hops in that private jet of his and just hand delivers everything like Santa Claus right to your front door. <laughs> don't, don't put yeah. it past that guy. Do not put it past now that I, guy. You know, I think, I think, um, what Amazon would love it to be is, is voice because they own a lot of the home oh, yeah. market yeah, right now uh, with Alexa, you know? So I think like they're, I think it's still unnatural. I mean, like language in terms of spoken language would be the easiest way to, to order your stuff, but the the platform or kind of like the um, how it's kind of set up on Alexa is a little bit difficult at this point. I right. think like we're not we don't know how to properly order things the right way, um, so they have to kind of put us through this like training process or build apps off top of it that maybe makes sense. So I think like you know that's maybe a next iteration, but I think eventually it's just going to be something where like everything is 
automated. Everything is is basically in a um, just a cycle where like you get to this point where um, things know what you want before you even know it, and it just orders it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like that. We get to that point of just like literally sitting back, and things just show up based around our consumption habits with like little sensors that are sitting in our uh, pre-workout that knows there's two servings left. And, you know, you obviously want to order another one. So it'll just kind of show up to you, right. whatever it is. So I think like you get to that point where, um, you know, it makes sense. Like with the whole, you know, we're totally probably getting off a little off track. Well, I'm getting off track, but <laughs> this happens sometimes on our podcast. Uh, like with 5G kind of coming out with like, you're having the ability to, to put a bunch of these like IOT devices um, or trackers on everything really cheaply now, and you have them being able to talk to a network that's actually mm -hmm. fast enough that can get the data in real time. So it's like, you're gonna see a lot of that stuff start to show up, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but like eventually you're gonna get to the point where literally you don't even have to think about ordering toothpaste or ordering like your, your basic fast moving consumer goods. like. You don't tend to switch anyway. So like if you need to go get your toilet paper, it's the same stuff. Like, you know, it should just know like you're on their last one and you have, you know, six hours left of usage. You're on a six hour shipping window. So it'll just ship it to you. I mean, I, that seems like where it all goes for me. Like why think about having to reorder things? You should, it should just know. That would save a lot of marriages. You forgot the eggs again. You forgot the ass wipe again. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. Two yeah. things you said there, Josh. One, I think there are refrigerators that exist today that actually monitor like, um, the amount of liquid left in your milk containers and stuff and remind you that you're almost yeah, out. I think that that exists. Um, or, you know, when something's about to expire, I believe it tells you that. But uh, two, by the time this podcast comes out, 5G will no longer be the cool thing. It'll be 6G. So, I mean, that's how quickly, yeah. you know, how quickly we're moving. <laughs> if you guys like what you heard here on the podcast, hit that subscribe button. We are on iTunes, Spotify, at YouTube. Follow along on Facebook, Two Guys, One Shaker Cup. On Instagram now, too, Two Guys, One Shaker Cup. We're over there as well. Yeah, if, there. If, you, if you have topics of consideration, make sure you post them. Post comments on this as well and uh, help us out by giving us a review. Helps out the algorithm so more people can find us. Uh, let's enjoy the Arnold. Let's try to get a live one done at the Arnold. And uh, make sure you sneeze and cough a lot on me so I can catch the coronavirus from all the places you've been at. Yeah, Podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcast, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.